Welcome to all the new faces and uh, visitors. I'd like to start this morning with a um, short opening, a short story about Jesus and his disciples. And I have a few points for us to take out of that. We're going to be reading in Mark 10, if you want to follow along. Um, before we start, let's, let's have a prayer. <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, for this uh, chance to be here and to meet with your church and to study your word, learn from you, hear from you. We pray that you would give us ears to hear what is said, to understand clearly what your will is and what you want from us. We pray for your presence here with us in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so again, in Mark 10, we're going to start in verse 32, and I'm going to be reading from ESV if you're following along. Mark 10. Verse 32. And they were on the road going to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed... And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise." And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said unto them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whosoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We'll stop there. All right, so we have Jesus and his disciples walking on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and perhaps they just realized where Jesus is heading, or maybe perhaps they get into sight of the city because suddenly the disciples are amazed. It says, and those that followed are afraid. Now, this may seem really odd to us because we're just jumping into the story here. Um, 
But this is actually right after things have really heated up for Jesus in Jerusalem. We know this from, um, from Mark's gospel here and from the other gospels. In this time frame, we have an attempt by the Pharisees, the chief priests, and the temple guards to arrest Jesus, an attempt by the Jewish leadership to stone him, uh, the decision of the Sanhedrin to figure out a way to kill him, and in his last visit to Jerusalem, Jesus just told the Jewish leadership that their father was Satan, and some of them countered him by saying that he's possessed. So things have really heated up. So when Jesus sets himself to go to Jerusalem right after this, it's little wonder that the disciples are amazed and fearful. You see, with their view of what Christ came to do, this is foolish and dangerous. This, to them, puts the whole mission of Jesus taking the throne of Israel in jeopardy. Uh, and so Jesus attempts to help them understand what his mission is and what needs to happen in verse 33. Verse 33, he starts out, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So here Jesus corrects their thinking, and finally the disciples get it. Right? No. No, they don't. Uh, we have no response recorded at least from the disciples after Jesus tells them his plan. And instead we have James and John come up to Jesus with a question in 35. And James and John come up to him and say to him, teacher, um, sorry, sorry, yeah, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. <clears throat> so my first point that I have here today is God's plan is easily missed or overlooked if it's overshadowed by our own ambitions. God's plan is easily missed or overlooked if it's overshadowed by our own ambitions. So as we all know, the disciples had a bit of a warped perception of what Christ would do when he came. They were hoping for a Christ, which literally means an anointed one, a king who would restore the nation of Israel back to its former greatness, in fact, far beyond its former greatness, because this king would even be greater than King David. And in that steadfast belief, there was no room for what Jesus was trying to tell them. This is actually the third time that Mark records that Jesus told his disciples plainly, he says he told them plainly what was going to happen to him. The first time is when Peter zealously takes him aside and rebukes him for even saying such things. The second time in chapter 9 of Mark here, just the previous chapter, Mark records that after he told them they didn't understand what he was saying and they were afraid to ask him. And perhaps that's because of his rebuke of Peter the first time. Now here's the third time that he says, and the disciples' reaction presumably is silence. And then we have James and John speak up. They say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. We have a humble request. Please do whatever we ask. 
Um, I'm not sure if this is an expression that got lost in translation or if they really did phrase it this awkwardly. Um, I would actually lean more towards a translation uh, thing because in the parallel account in Matthew, uh, Matthew records that actually they kneeled in front of him to make their request. So perhaps it was an expression that we um, didn't quite get in the translation. But in any case, Jesus graciously asked them what they would like. <clears throat> and their request is to sit one at his right hand and one at his left in his glory. What they're thinking, of course, is when Jesus has taken the throne, when he's ruling over the nation of Israel, they want the head of state positions. They want the top spots right next to Jesus, main advisors. Um, and of course, the irony of this in hindsight is that far from what they're imagining, Jesus's great moment of glory here on the earth, at least, was actually on the cross and at that moment, there were people at his right and left, and they were crucified criminals. So Jesus continues with a fitting response, you do not know what you are asking. The disciples are so fixated on their idea of Jesus' plan, his mission, they're so fixated that they're busy making plans for themselves within that coming plan. Busy planning how to get ahead when it comes. Busy with the desire to be first, um, the desire to be served, the desire to be in control. And those ambitions are blinding their eyes to the reality of God's actual plan and the road of suffering that will take them there. <clears throat> so are there areas in our lives where our ambitions, our plans are overshadowing our ability to discern what God's will really is. <clears throat> Sometimes, as with the disciples here, those plans can seem to be within what we perceive to be God's plan for us. Um, perhaps they're not bad ambitions. Um, they're not, they don't seem like they're bad things to want, but um, they're keeping us and causing us to miss the bigger picture of God's true plan for us. God's plan is easily missed or overlooked if it's overshadowed by our own ambitions. <clears throat> Verse 38, if we can keep reading. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left, excuse me, is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So now Jesus asked them, do you really think that you can drink the cup that I am going to drink? And they reply, we are. Um, in the Hebrew scriptures, the, the term the cup or cup is almost always a metaphor, actually, for the just judgment of God against sin. There's many passages in the prophets that use this metaphor. And Jesus was just talking about the suffering that he would go through. Just now he mentioned it plainly to them, the suffering that he would go through. And now he's just bringing them back, these two that are asking this question, bringing them back to say, did you miss what I just said? That's where I'm going. That's the cup I'm going to drink. 
And are you able to go through this suffering that I'm going to go through? And Jesus tells them, you will drink that cup. But they don't, they don't get it. They're sure that they already understand what the Messiah will do. And, and they're ready for that plan. But it's completely incorrect. And it's, their own ambitions are overshadowing their ability to discern that they are incorrect with that. Now, when we read this, though, I don't think that we're supposed to be going, there go the silly disciples again. Missing the point. How can they keep missing it? I'm sure we've all had that thought. And when we read the disciples, it's hard not to. But I would submit that perhaps we are too hard on the disciples usually. Because the way of the cross is hard to understand. And we just have the benefit of seeing it, especially in this story, in hindsight. But it's still hard for us today to understand the way that... Way in the way, the way that the way of the cross goes against our human nature and against our very understanding of the way things should be. It's hard for us to understand how that works. And so I think our response to the disciples should be more like, what is it that we're missing right now? How is our pride and our assumptions and our ambitions blinding us to God's will today? And so my second point is understanding the magnitude of the way of the cross should lead us to humility and soul searching rather than pride. Understanding the magnitude of the way of the cross should lead us to humility and soul searching rather than pride. Verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called to them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many." So when the other disciples see this, they're upset. These two are trying to put themselves ahead. They're trying to set themselves above us. And I'm sure it didn't help. In Matthew's gospel, it records that their mother went with them to ask. I'm sure that was very helpful. But how does Jesus respond to their indignation? He doesn't rebuke James and John for their question. And neither does he rebuke the ten for being upset. Jesus gets right to the root cause in the human heart that is causing the whole situation. And best of all, he gives the solution. He says, you know that rulers and people in authority in the world, they lord it over people. But it's going to be different with you. With you, whoever wants to be great, let him be a servant. Whoever wants to be first should be the slave of all. So my third and final point is sacrificial love is the solution to human pride, greed, and the desire to control. Sacrificial love is the solution to human pride, greed, and the desire to control. Jesus here takes the whole system, this whole way that we think greatness and power works, 
namely, if you want to be somebody, you got to step up, take initiative and get ahead of the competition. That's how we think it works. He takes this whole way of thinking and he turns it on its head. And in so doing, this is extremely significant because in so doing, he not only gives the disciples the solution to this situation here, but he also gives the answer to the problem of the entire human condition. He says, your whole system of thinking about this is off. You think you have to be first. Sorry, you think to be first, you must get yourself ahead of others. No, to be first, you have to be the servant of all. You think true greatness is being in a position of great authority over others. But no, true greatness is achieved by serving others. And it goes far beyond this one incident, like I said. Jesus is looking forward to a time when these men, these 12 here, will lead his church. And he's saying, if you make this your standard, if you make sacrificial love, the way that you think about power and greatness, then my church will be able to show the whole world the solution to the human problem of greed, selfishness, pride, putting yourself above others. The solution to all of it, if, if you make sacrificial love your way of achieving greatness, then the whole system is solved. The whole system works. The whole human condition that is killing others and, um, and hating others and all this system of the, the trouble in the human nature. This is the solution to all of it. Sacrificial love. <clears throat> and Jesus ends with the statement, for even the son of man came not to serve, sorry, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If Jesus, the son of God, didn't come seeking to be served and seeking to be somebody by human standards, but rather came to show this system of sacrificial love in action, then surely this is the path to true greatness. So in closing, my three points again are God's plan is easily missed or overlooked if it's overshadowed by our own ambitions. Understanding the magnitude of the way of the cross should lead us to humility and soul-searching rather than pride. And finally, sacrificial love is the solution to human pride, greed, and the desire to control. Amen.